reminded that our overall theme is to be disciples and to make disciples. In the past year, uh, this past year, we've been focusing on discipleship and action, and we've been talking about kind of the, the four focuses of our community, those victimized by human trafficking, those affected by disabilities, uh, foster children and families, and single parents. We've been serving together. We've been praying together. We've been seeking the Lord together to see how God might bring, uh, might have us bring this living hope of Jesus to these uh, in our community. And I'm excited to say that, that as the leadership has been praying and as we have been getting your feedback, uh, there's going to be a two-fold focus for this year. So of the four, we've chosen two. God led us to two. And drum roll. Um, but I mean, no, I'm excited. I'm really excited about this. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we're going to be ministering. We feel that God is leading us to minister to single parents and foster families. We really feel that that is where God is leading and, and putting this burden in our heart and opening up the opportunities of ministry in our area. Uh, so we're gonna be this fall rolling out a specific strategy or looking, praying for a st specific strategy of how we as a church are really going to pour out into these, particularly these two sectors of our, um, of our community. Now, it doesn't mean that we're not gonna be um, looking at human trafficking or those affected by disabilities, we will still have some ministry to them, but we're going to put the bulk of our resources and concentration in the next year on single parents, on ministering to single parents and foster children and foster families. So uh, we do uh, wanna pray that, uh, that God will lead us. And, uh, and I also want to mention that this is not just a matter of, you know, getting involved and doing some things and, and making the world a better place. This is really about, um, this is about the kingdom of God. See, we're, we're not just here to make people feel better, to make sure that everyone has a home uh, or, or, or that they have a better life. Uh, we're really here to, to bring a message that's going to really change people's lives completely. That's, that's what happens when we think about discipleship. And that's, that's what everything that we do is in the context of discipleship. These are the words of Jesus. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And from this passage, we've seen that there are really uh, three components to discipleship. The idea of following me, choosing to follow Jesus. It begins with our choice to say we want to follow Jesus and trust him. The second element of discipleship is being transformed. I will make you. This is God, Jesus saying, I'm going to make you more and more like Jesus Christ each day. And then the last thing, fishers of men. This is a reminder of mission, that the direction and the end of our lives here on earth is really to bring the living hope of Jesus to a world that desperately needs him. It is not about us. It is not about us being better Christians and things like that. It is about bringing this gospel to people who are dying. They're dying without Jesus Christ. And so as we begin this new year, our theme is gonna focus on really the second element of discipleship, and that's the area of transformation. Jesus' statement that I will make you. And we wanna be uh, focusing on the idea of being transformed. What does it mean to be transformed by the Spirit of God? And we hope that by, as we go through this year, God will indeed transform us, that you know, 12 months from now, we'll look back and see the good things that God has done in our lives. So I'd like you to turn with me to Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Now shall we stand in reverence for the word of God? <coughs> so 
So this is the word of God from Romans chapter 12, verse one. This is the Apostle Paul speaking to the Christians in Rome. He says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. So from this passage, we're going to see that transformation is both the work of God and the work of our own through which the Holy Spirit continues to change us and empower us to live out the gospel in this world. I know it's a long phrase, but basically what we're saying here is that the moment that we follow Jesus, at the moment of our salvation, we're beginning this process of transformation. It's something that God is doing in our lives, that we are cooperating with, and that the Spirit is really making us more and more like Jesus every day. And so the first thing we want to look at is this idea of transformation. What is this transformation? Well, what is the transformation that Jesus is really uh, looking for? In verse 2, it says, Do not be conformed to this world anymore, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Now, the word um, transformation here, it means more than just, I'm going to be a better person, or I'm going to be a better father, or a better husband, or I'm going to be a less fearful or more bold. That's not entirely what transformation, the transformation that Paul is speaking of here. Uh, what Paul is speaking of here is the complete and utter change of the very core of who we are and, and, and what our world is like. In his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And people listened to that and said, what in the world is Jesus talking about? And what Jesus was saying is that, that the kingdom of God is just, not just about being a better earth or a better humanity. The kingdom of God is about turning our world upside down. What it means is that all the things that in this world that we've grown accustomed to, God's going to kind of tear them apart. Like we're in a world right now where the, the rich get everything they want, Right? We're in a world right now where the powerful do everything that they want to. They, they do anything that they please. We're in a world right now where, where religion is all about finding personal peace and fulfillment. But what Jesus is saying is, I'm going to change everything in this world. When Jesus brings his kingdom, he says the poor in spirit are the ones who are going to rule the kingdom. The meek are going to be the ones who are the most powerful. And the ones who suffer and lose everything, those are the ones who will find the comfort and reward. And that's, that's, that's different. That's radically different. That's the level of transformation that Paul is speaking of, that, that as representatives of Jesus Christ in this world, um, Paul's not saying just be a better person. He's saying be different. Live out these values of the kingdom right now. See, Paul, Paul says, seek, I mean, Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And in Jesus' time, that meant dining with tax collectors, being with, with sinners and prostitutes and asking them uh, to receive the blessings of God. It meant uh, making the Samaritan, the hero 
of the story, healing the sick, ministering to the poor, calling out the hypocrisy of the proud. This was kingdom. This was transformation. The disciples had a hard time. It was a steep learning curve for the disciples. They, they, weren't, they couldn't handle that. They were like, what is Jesus talking about here? It's so different from the world in which they lived. But as the Spirit of God began to change them in accordance with these kingdom principles, they were transformed by the Spirit of God. And they changed their world. They turned the world around in which they lived. And because of that, we know they were crucified. They were imprisoned. Um, they lost their jobs, many of them. They lost their homes. But their testimony, their life, uh, was, was, a, was a, a picture of the power and love that could only come from God. And everyone around knew that. They knew that. And God is calling us as Jesus' disciples um, to do the same thing now. See, this is the type of, of transformation that Jesus is looking for. The deepest level of the human soul. Kingdom people as God's kingdom comes. And so, as we look at this, the second thing we want to talk about, I know we're going through this a little fast, but this is important. Romans 12 gives us also the reason why we should be kingdom people. Why should I look forward to suffering for the gospel of the kingdom? Why should I uh, give up some dreams about doing the things that I want and, and having all the things that I want? Well, what's the reason for that? And Paul says the reason, he says, I appeal to you, this is in verse one, he says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, Paul speaks of what he calls the mercies of God. And in Romans chapter 1, all the way through 11, Paul outlines the mercies of God through his salvation. That, 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 that God gave his son to Jesus Christ, died on the cross, that we were sinners and that we were doomed. None of us were righteous. And yet God in his mercy um, saved us, cleansed us, gave his son to die on the cross for us. These are all the mercies of God. And, and Paul is saying, based on the mercies of God, God is now calling us to be a disciple. And what he's really saying is that discipleship is ultimately rooted in the grace of God. Now this is very important. Discipleship, anything else for discipleship, any other motive, would not be what Jesus has intended. And I, I want to talk about that or let, let us know that as we move forward, that as we're thinking about, you know, I want to, to grow in God, I want to be a disciple of God, I want to follow God, and I ask the question, why? Why do you want to follow? Why do you want to be a man of God? Why do you want to be a woman of God? And we may say, well, I, I never thought about that. I just thought, you know, at church, that's what you do. That's what my parents want. That's what I assume was good for me. Um, you know, if we're trying to uh, as disciples trying to be approved by God, if we're trying to uh, relieve a sense of guilt, like, you know, I know I should be a good disciple, if we're trying to fulfill a, a sense of duty, like this is just what you do, if we're trying to satisfy my own personal need to say, you know, I just feel like I need to be a better Christian, or if we're expecting that God will love us more or God will think highly of us. Um, all these motivations 
they would not be discipleship. They would not lead to transformation. Because discipleship is ultimately rooted in the grace of God. That's the purest motivation because of what God has done for us, because of who he is, because he pours out his life and gives his son for us, because he is worthy of everything that we are. That's why we follow him. That's why we give to him. That's why we, we surrender everything and, and, and we'll do anything for him. And it has nothing to do with me. It has nothing to do with what I gain. It has nothing to do with what people expect of us. It is because of what God has already done for us. That's, that's the mercy of God. Now, we'll move now to what I would call, how does it happen? And all these things are going to now pour into, how does transformation actually happen? Now, in verse 2, it says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Now, if you'll notice, if you're an English major, uh, transformed is in what we call the passive voice. Now, I know as college students, you're all looking forward to going back to school. And I know when you came to service, you didn't think you'd be learning about English. But at any rate, passive voice involves something that is acted upon. To give you an example, um, if Paul said, I want you to transform your world, that's in the active voice. That means you go do something. Active voice, transform your world. You are the actor, you're acting upon someone else. That's, in, that's an active voice in the Greek. There's also what we call a reflexive voice. And reflexive voice means uh, transform yourselves. That means do something to yourself. And the Greek has another form for that. It's called the reflexive form. So if, if Paul said, transform yourself, what he would be saying to us is, you are responsible to transform yourself. Make yourself a better Christian. But Paul is very specific, and he uses a very specific verb. It's not active. It's not reflexive. It's passive. He says, be transformed, which literally means allow something to act upon you. You don't do anything. You don't do anything to yourself. You don't do anything to these things. You allow something to act on you. Now, this is very important as we understand transformation. Because how does transformation happen? First of all, most importantly, transformation is ultimately something that God does to us. It is a work of the Spirit. We, and here's something that's kind of odd, but, but go with me with this. We cannot make ourselves more mature Christians. Okay? Only God does that. We cannot make ourselves produce the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, because the fruit of the Spirit is of the Spirit. There's a reason it's called the fruit of the Spirit. It belongs to the Spirit. The love, the joy, the peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, these are produced by the Spirit. At least in the Jesus form of these qualities, they belong to the Spirit, and the Spirit is working upon us to build these things in our lives. So at this point, we may be a little confused. We may be disappointed. We may say, wait, wait, wait a minute. And the reason why is because we like to be in control, right? I mean, face it. You know, I'm not really a control freak, but... 
We like to be in control. I mean, basically we say, well, if I want to be stronger and healthier, what do I do? You know, if, if the doctor says, you know, you have high cholesterol, what do I do? I change my diet. I go to the gym. I eat right. I discipline myself. I lose my weight. I build my muscles. Bring, up, bring down my blood pressure. Bring down my cholesterol. I do it myself. I'm in control of my health. Um, if I want to have all these nice things, I work hard, I earn money, I figure out how to buy these things, I'm in control because I want them. If I want to obtain a certain lifestyle, I want to be a crazy rich Asian, or maybe just kind of a sane, moderately uh, well-off Asian, um, what do I do? I get the grades, I make the connections, I please my parents, I make the right moves, and I get there. That's control, right? I know what I want, and I get it. I have control. And sometimes we like to do that with our spiritual life. And we say, you know, I want to be a mature Christian. I want to be a good follower of Jesus Christ. I want to have all these qualities in my life. Uh, I want to be a peace-filled Christian. I want to be a loving Christian. I want to be a self-controlled Christian. And we get frustrated because we realize that we can't make it happen. No matter how hard we try. Why? Because it is the fruit of the Spirit. It's not a result of a virtuous Christian. It's not the result of a determined Christian. It's not the result of even a faithful Christian to have these things. Because otherwise, we'll boast. I mean, that, God knows, we boast, we'll judge if it was really up to us. See, because uh, what this means, if, if this is God's work, that means that if you are more self-controlled and you could say no to certain temptations that other Christians seem to struggle with, you will know that it's not because you're more a faithful Christian or you're a better Christian or you're a stronger Christian. It's not because you're a smarter Christian. It's because the grace of God that appeared to us bringing salvation for all people is training us to say no to ungodliness and to worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. And it says specifically, the grace of God has appeared to bring these things. And the last time I checked, the grace of God is still something that comes from God. Right? It's, it's not us. See, transformation remains a work of God. It is what he did at the moment, at the moment that we received Jesus Christ as Savior. And is what he continues to do through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in each one of us. And so we look at this and say, well, then what are, are we supposed to do if, if, if it is a work of the Spirit, what is God calling us to do? He is calling us, the second thing we see about transformation is that God is calling us to surrender. Now, if you look back at verse one, it says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now, this is actually the one command in this verse that, that, that God is telling us that we need to do and that is to present our bodies as a living sacrifice to surrender see Paul uses this image of sacrifice because it deeply resonated with 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 the Roman Christians at that time 
because a lot of these Roman Christians, they came out of kind of pagan background. And so these Roman Christians were previously pagan. And they would offer their sacrifices to their gods because it was their duty that when they needed God to intervene for them, uh, uh, to give them rain or to give them blessing, uh, they would offer these sacrifices. They knew that, that in the past to say, if I want a good result, then I need to offer a better sacrifice. If I offer a really good sacrifice, then the gods, may they, maybe they'll pour out more stuff for me. So that's kind of what their, their vision or their idea of, of religion was before they became a Christian, and they knew that that, that type of lifestyle was burdensome. And, and so Paul takes this image of this sacrificial offering, and he kind of Jesifies it, Jesusifies it. <laughs> Anyways, he Jesifies it. And he says, here's how you have a relationship with God, is through Jesus. And you will still offer sacrifices but the sacrifice will be yourself. And if you want to have a relationship with God and you want God to actively intervene on your life on a daily basis, then you offer yourself as a sacrifice. And so instead of going through your flock each year and trying to find you know, the best animal to, to offer as an acceptable sacrifice to, to get the most out of you know, your gods, instead of doing that, we know now as Christians the only acceptable sacrifice now is yourself. Fully, totally. Give up ourselves. Surrender ourselves daily. See, we, 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 can, we can work at being patient. Uh, we, we can try ourselves, but it's nothing in comparison to, to, to what God can do if we surrender ourselves uh, to Jesus. Let him make us the patient person that he wants us to be. We can, we can try to be loving, and again, we'll, we'll have some success initially, but it'll be nothing in comparison to, to when we can surrender our lives to Jesus wholly and completely and let him choose who we're supposed to love. Let him choose how we're supposed to love. Let him choose what the sacrifices that we are to make so that we can love others. This will bring love to a whole new level, a supernatural level, a level that, that only God can do. And this Jesus road may actually be more demanding than if we try to do it ourselves. But the result um, will be supernatural, miraculous in its manifestation. You know, when I was a young Christian, this verse was the one turning point in my entire Christian life, that I've been a Christian from junior high all the way through high school, just doing Christian things, like going to church, and, and you know, I didn't know anything about church, so I discovered prayer meeting. I was like, oh, this is cool, I'll go to prayer meeting. I discovered fellowship, oh, fellowship, this is cool. Uh, worship, I didn't even know there was worship. I thought church was just Sunday school. Worship, oh, this is cool, I'll go to worship. And I made friends, and they told me what it meant to be a Christian. Oh, you're supposed to do this, supposed to do that, stop swearing, oh, okay, yeah, stop swearing. All this kind of stuff. They told me how to be a Christian. So I did all these things and, and, and I learned how to be a Christian. And I enjoyed it, actually. I said, this is pretty good, I like this. I'm saved uh, from hell and I have new friends, I have a new life, this is great. And I loved it and I lived that way for um, probably about five years. Then when I went to college, somebody at CBM camp, give a shout out to CBM, said, 
you know what? Just living Christian life is not enough. You need to give up your life totally as a living sacrifice. And I was like, well, what does that mean? He said, well, that means if, you, if God calls you to go to mission field, you go. I'm like, wait, well, but I'm, I'm already, I got into architecture, and that's what I want, God. And I, I want to take over my dad's business, and I want to have these things. And uh, the speaker just was speaking to my heart, saying, no. If you're, to be, if you're going to be a follower of Jesus Christ, if you want to bring your spiritual life to the level to which God really wants it to be, you've got to offer your, your whole life as a living sacrifice. Whatever you love, you have to put on the altar. Your parents, your career, your dreams. You want to get married? Put that, you got to put that on the altar too. God may say no. And it was really hard, that whole, that I said, well, I, I, I said, I don't want to do that, God. And I just went home and said, but I, I, I know I need to pray about this because I think it's the right decision to make, but I don't want to make it right now because I got to deal with, you know, all these things. A year later, I was praying, 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 and I came back and I met my old counselor and I said, I'm ready. And I sat down and on my knees in the red dirt and gave my life to Jesus Christ. And I honestly, at that point, believed that if God said, you're going to go to Africa and leave everything that you know, um, that I would do it. Because that's what God wants. That's what God deserves. Because of what he has done for me. And no, he didn't send me to Africa. And yes, I did graduate. And yes, I did get married and all these things. But that was the point where God completely changed everything in my life as a Christian. I will say that right now. God changed everything in my life. The transformation, God was transforming me through those years before committing my life on the altar. But afterwards, in terms of what God was doing in my life, in terms of outreach in terms of, of, of my own character flaws and, and learning and growing of what it really means to follow Jesus Christ, to surrender everything to Jesus Christ, that these things could not happen until I really put my life on the altar and said, God, I will give everything to you. Whatever you ask, you know, I'll give it to you even before you ask. I don't even need to know what you're going to ask of me. I'll give it to you already. You don't have to give me a list of all the things you want. I'll give it to you already because that's my commitment to you. That's the type of commitment that I was making. That's the type of commitment that goes on the altar where we don't say, God, um, I like these things, so as long as I can keep these things, and uh, if you want me to do these things, yeah, I'll do those things. So if we can come to an agreement here, then I'll go ahead and follow you, Jesus. God says, no, just toss that out the window. All you have is Jesus and the altar. And God says, step up and surrender everything. That's what, that's the type of transformation. That's what, that's what Paul, what Jesus, what God is asking of every single follower of Jesus Christ. Not just pastors, not just those going into the mission field, not just those who are super Christians. Remember, we said there's no super Christians. There's no, that we made ourselves mature. There is only followers of Jesus Christ, you and I, we are all followers of Jesus, and God wants to transform. This is a verse for everyone. He wants to transform 
our lives to something we never could ever do on our own. And he is asking us to do one thing, to walk up and step up on the altar. That's all he's asking. And he will do everything else after that. Now, this, this is the type of transformation. Now, Paul, he presents a, a, a kind of a dichotomy, just so that you know, um, that there's two kind of directions that can work on our lives um, as we think about this. He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This is in verse two. So what Paul's saying here is that basically there's two things that you can allow to act upon your life right now as a Christian, okay, as a Christian, there are two things that you can allow to act upon your life right now. Basically, he's saying you can either have God's work of transformation changing you, or you can have the world's work of conforming you into its image and its values and its wants and desires. Again, this is talking to Christians. He's saying if you're not surrendering your all to Jesus, then basically what we're doing is surrendering ourselves to the world. There's no one or the other. There's no, like, there, there's no middle ground. Like, I'm not giving myself up to the world. He says, no, if you, you know, if, if, if we don't give ourselves to God, this is the choice we're making. We don't actively seek to be conformed to the world, right? We don't go out and say, as Christians, we don't go out and say, I'm going to be just like the world. I'm going to be selfish. I'm going I'm, I'm to, you know, be angry. But it's just what happens to us when we refuse to surrender our lives to God, right? See, when we get angry, it's not because I'm actively trying to be an angry person. I've been really working on it hard, you know, to be angry and, and refine my anger skills. You know, we don't say that. Why? Because I'm already passively allowing the world to continue to conform me, to, to, to mold me in thinking that my rights are so important that, 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 that people should be doing things that, that, that satisfy my needs and, and what I should have and that God should be serving me. And so I'm not actively fostering you know, this idea of anger, but it's something that happens because the world is continuing to try to conform us into its image. Why do I struggle? Why do we struggle with sexual temptation? Is that because I'm, I'm actively fostering you know, this temptation and desire in me? No, it's because the world is continuing to act upon us, to bombard us with its ideas of pleasure, satisfaction, fulfillment, loneliness. And, and so the, the choice of surrender <clears throat> is really a choice of what type of life do you really want to live? I mean, do, do, do you want to live a guilt-ridden, and this is to Christian, okay, speaking to us Christian, do you want to live a guilt-ridden, empty, stress-filled, angry, selfish, meaningless, burdensome life? Is that the life that we want? If so, we don't have to do anything because the world is already perfectly willing to form us into that. But if you want to stop the process of conforming dead in its tracks, if you want to, to move in another direction towards the transformation that Jesus Christ wants for each one of us, then surrender your life. Offer it as a living sacrifice to God. And you may say, well, I've lived a Christian so long and I think that I've done that and I think that I'm committed. If you think you're not sure, 
If you just pray and do it now, do it tonight and, and go home before God and say, God, whatever you ask, whatever you want, I'm going to offer my life everything it is. Dallas Willard writes it this way. I like the way he wrote it. He says, the authentic gospel of Jesus says, I offer you life, but you have to give up yours. Yes, that life that you think you're in charge of, the one you complain about so much, you have to give it up. That's the gospel. That's, that's transformation. And so we look at this and we say, you know, how, how does spiritual transformation happen in our lives? It's, it's, it's a, a, it's a co cooperation between uh, God and us. God's spirit working to make us who he wants us to be and us offering ourselves as living sacrifices. So what, what do we start here? We say, I say, kill the control freak. You know, if, if, if we don't need to, you know, sacrifice everything, we say, well, you know, that's too big, Pastor Harrison. Then ask the question, what are the areas in my life right now that I feel like I need to control the most? You know, we say certain people are control freaks and certain people are not. I tend to not think of myself as a control freak, but when I think about it more, you know, I like control. I do. I think we all do, at least in certain areas. What are the areas that we like to control? What are the areas in our lives where we're overcome with just constantly worrying about it? You know, whether it's your future, family, uh, surroundings, your image, um, your reputation. What is that aspect that, that you're just pouring out so much energy and stress and money into because, because we have this illusion that somehow we can control uh, the outcome of this. We can control people's minds and, and make them think a, a certain way about us. Or we can control the circumstances around us so that it'll be favorable to us. What are these things that, 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 that we are just being like total control freaks about? I mean, I know as we sit and think about it, you can probably think of one or two. And so it's time to, to kill the control freak. To not just say, oh, this is this big, I'm going to sacrifice everything. It's what's God saying to me right now? What, what's that area of my life right now that I really worry about so much because I just need to have that under control? And God says, hey, that's the one that needs to go on the altar right now. Offer your body, offer the control room on that altar as a living sacrifice and offer it over and over again so that God can continue to transform and make us the people God wants us to be. Third aspect of transformation, we talked about surrender, the third renewing of our minds, and we're gonna stop here. Um, don't be conformed to this world, uh, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Now, the primary battleground for transformation and for surrender is the mind, right? Everything follows the mind, right? What our mind thinks, the body does, the will does, the emotion does, our reactions, everything follows what we think. And so the bulk of transformation is going to occur here. And Ken Willard says this, I like it. He says, the process of spiritual transformation in Christ is one of progressively replacing our destructive images and ideas with images and ideas that fill the mind of Jesus himself. I Meaning take away all the destructive images and ideas from the world and fill them with the mind of Christ. And therefore, we come increasingly to see the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is in the image of God. And he goes on to say, the grace and human initiative work together to break the power of this toxic system of ideas and images that makes us dead to God. That's what the world does. 
It fills our minds with images and ideas that make us dead to God. But after God has implanted his new life in us by the word and the spirit, we begin to take initiative in retaking our thought lives for God's kingdom. We train our minds to be renewed. Now I'm gonna end here with just three things about renewing the mind. What does it mean to renew the mind? Number one, be, be precarious about the world. Be precarious, be aware of the messages of this world. When you sit before the Lord, do this in your quiet time. If, you know, we have quiet time, we have time to sit with Jesus, to sit with God you know, regularly. Um, and we say, you know, sit before God and say, are there things today where my mind is being influenced by some message of the world right now? Where I was pretty selfish and I really kind of felt like that was my right to have that. Or I was being pretty prideful as that person said that and I started thinking these not so good thoughts. And, and these are the messages of the world that, that are in my mind. Be, be mindful, know that, that start recognizing the, the, the works of the enemy trying to conform because if you don't even see it, it's hard to fight against it. But once you start seeing it, now you kind of know, oh, that's the world. And we start identifying, start calling it out, the things that the world is doing, bringing it out of the darkness so now we can begin dealing with it. Second thing, be prayerful with God's word. A lot of times we think of devotion as I read God's word, find an application, then I pray. This one, let's, let's just go ahead and pray and, and, do God's, and read God's word at the same time. So kill two, two birds with one stone, make your quiet time faster, no, make it longer. Pray and read at the same time. Meaning, as you read God's word, prayerfully let your mind dwell on the truths of, of God's word. And, and as you read, you don't have to understand everything that's being said, but what is God saying in that? What, what words are popping up to you? What ideas from God are, are coming up to your mind as you read his word, as you pray? And then the last thing, be practical with God's word. Uh, renewal of the mind is not just theory. It's like, okay, now that this thing is coming up, how, what do I do? How do I live this out? How do I just step out by faith and actually do this? If I say, well, you know, I've never done this before and this just seems really uh, radical to actually talk about Jesus at school, at work, and I'm really afraid that it's gonna mess everything up. Yeah, yeah, we are all afraid. But God says by faith, we act. And, and see what happens. See how God transforms the situation in a way that you never thought it would happen. See how God opens up doors and, and builds relationships rather than destroys them. We said, oh, if I share the gospel with somebody, I'm gonna destroy this relationship. And then we try it and we find out, oh no, I didn't destroy the relationship. The relationship is better actually, deeper. Because we're talking about spiritual things now. I didn't realize that I could get to this stage with my coworkers, with my fellow, you know, my friends at school. I thought they would judge me. I thought that they would, would, would think I'm a, you know, this, this you know, judgmental Christian. And now I realize that, wow, I have this relationship opening up for the power of God and a new boldness that comes from God that I can appreciate now because I was willing to set aside my fears and step out of faith for the things that God has said in his word. That's how we renew our mind. That's how we begin to fill our mind with these real truths rather than saying, well, I know I should share the gospel. That's the truth. That's not a truth in our mind yet until we actually go and share the gospel and we see what God does and we say, oh, now this becomes a truth in my mind to see that God actually works 
in, in something, to forgive someone. Well, if I forgive them, they're gonna take advantage of me. I know them, I don't wanna forgive them uh, because I'm gonna get hurt and it, it's gonna feel really bad, it's gonna be really awkward, I don't wanna do it. And then we say, well, but God's word is telling me I need to. And I go out and do it and I realize, whoa, God changed everything. God did something completely different than what I thought was gonna happen. And that's when the word of God now comes into renewing our mind. Not, oh, I know I should forgive people. I mean, we know that, we read that all the time and that's not really renewing our mind. That's just knowing stuff. But when we actually forgive someone by faith and we take the risk and God changes us and God teaches us and God just blows our mind with what he can do when we obey him, now that truth really becomes a part of who I am and how I think. And so let's go away with these things. We renew our mind and really ask God, you know, what are the things that you're saying to me right now? Areas of control, areas where I need to really surrender my life to God. And as I do, what are the areas in my heart that you're speaking to right now? Let's go ahead and let's, let's pay, take some time in, in prayer right now. Let's, let's quiet our hearts before him. Let's kill that control freak because he's starting to get nervous. He's starting to get angry. He's starting to worry about losing control. Let's bring those things up before the Lord right now and say, God, I don't need to control this anymore. I, I can't control it anyways. And I'm tired of trying. And though I'm afraid, I'm gonna surrender it to you now because I trust you that you are a good God and a loving God. That you will never hurt me unless it is something that's going to transform me. And that's what I want. So there are areas in our lives right now where we really need to surrender to God right now. Let's bring it before the Lord right now.